Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Acts chapter 11, we have a very important moment in the history of the church recorded. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it is recorded that the early church discovered that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. This is described in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, where it says, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Granting to the Gentiles repentance to life means that the Lord our God granted to the Gentiles the ability to turn away from their unbelief, to turn to belief in Christ Jesus. That would be their repentance, their turning away from unbelief and turning to belief. To life means that they would receive the Holy Spirit, which is the description of the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam. In that way, they would actually be saved. What was so important about this moment was that the church recognized that a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew. That was the pivotal moment in the history of the church described here in Acts chapter 11, that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. Now, the means by which a Gentile was converted to Judaism was that they would first commit themselves to live a life in obedience to the Mosaic law. Second, they would be circumcised, of course, if that was applicable. And third, they would be baptized through the ritual process of baptism that was established originally by the Pharisees and then used by John the Baptist in order to introduce the Messiah and to demonstrate, of course, that a Jew was just as unclean as a Gentile and also needed to repent in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this is the circumstance that the early church finds itself in as recorded in Acts chapter 11, that they have finally acknowledged that a Gentile can be saved. The way that our God introduced this subject to the church, the way that the Lord showed the church that a Gentile could be saved was through the dietary laws. The dietary laws were given by our God to first isolate the nation of Israel from the Gentiles, and then he used the laws again at this time in the history of the world. He used these laws in order to reunite the Jew with the Gentile so that they could acknowledge that they could all become one in Christ Jesus. Where there is no Jew or Gentile, there is only the new creation, the new person in Christ Jesus, those who believe in him and those who receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Through that, they are all saved. This was introduced through Peter in Acts chapter 10, when the Lord presented a vision to Peter of all the unclean food, and he used that in order to show Peter that all people were clean. In other words, all people could be the recipients of the life of God, they could repent from their unbelief to belief and receive the life of God, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, being then baptized by and in the Holy Spirit so that they could actually be saved. The Lord our God used the dietary laws for that purpose. Then when Peter returned to Jerusalem, 
as described in Acts chapter 11, the first thing that the people confront him over is not the fact that the Gentiles got saved, but they confronted him over the fact that he went in and ate with uncircumcised men, that he became ritually unclean because he violated the dietary laws. That was described in Acts chapter 11, verse 2, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That was their concern. Now, of course, Peter then explains that the Gentiles got saved and that this was a vision that had been given by the Lord their God to him. And who was he to resist the Lord? That this was something that the Lord did, and Peter really didn't have anything to say about it from that perspective. But something that is very important to note here is that there was still no resolution to the issue of eating with uncircumcised men, eating foods with them if they are not living in obedience to the dietary laws. There is still no resolution to this issue. The resolution described in Acts chapter 11 was that they would see that a Gentile could be saved, but there's still no real true resolution to this issue of whether or not we are going to continue to live in obedience to the dietary laws. This is, of course, very important to see, because if you don't understand that this was never really resolved, it's going to be difficult or challenging to understand some other things that occur in the history of the church, especially towards the end of this chapter, chapter 11, but also in other letters. For example, in Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, there was a circumstance where Paul confronted Peter over this issue of the dietary laws. I mean, you would think that given what Peter had just experienced here in Acts chapter 10, with Cornelius being saved and his household, you would think that he would have a greater understanding of the purpose of the dietary laws. But in reality, I don't think that he really did. I don't think that he still had a complete understanding of the dietary laws in that context, that this was something that was understood later, perhaps understood later if people did understand it at all, as Paul went forward into the Gentile world and talked with them and ministered to them and revealed the insights in the scriptures to them. There was a confrontation that Paul had with Peter, and this was described in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, this is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, this issue, this controversy of the dietary laws, certainly was not resolved in Acts chapter 11 with the church, and also was not resolved later on as Paul was ministering to the Gentiles in Galatia and other parts of the world that this was a matter that simply was not resolved. And in fact, as we continue to read in Acts, we get to Acts chapter 15, we find out that it was then that they actually started to consider, how do we now live? How do we now live in light of what Christ Jesus has really done for us? 
It was then that the question was raised, should a Gentile live in obedience to the law of Moses, be circumcised and also follow the dietary laws, things like that? It was then that the question was actually raised in the council with regards to how a person should actually live. Now, in that context, of course, it was just a Gentile. They apparently did not even consider whether or not a Jew should have to live in obedience to the law of Moses. Of course, they should live in obedience to the law of Moses, but I will address that when I get to Acts chapter 15. With regards to the dietary laws, I do have a series on the dietary laws, two programs that I have done on this subject that I would like to defer you to where I discuss this with more detail. But for now, I just want you to see that this is where the dietary laws were used And the issues concerning the dietary laws in terms of our daily life still were not really resolved. There was no real resolution to that. The only resolution that really occurs or that we see is that a Gentile can actually be saved at all. But again, still, the church would still believe that a Gentile would need to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. The church would promote that. It was promoted at least until Acts chapter 15 by the church in Jerusalem. And so this is an important point because as I go on into Acts chapter 11, there are some important verses here that reveal that and demonstrate that there is a controversy that is going to begin to brew now in the church. There is a significant controversy that is now going to develop, and that is how do we now live now that we have been saved? How are we truly going to live? And of course, there were two competing perspectives in terms of how we were going to live. The one perspective was promoted by James, and the other perspective was promoted by Paul. James taught, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, that a person would need to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, and Paul did not teach that. He taught that we are to live on a daily basis, trusting and believing in what Christ Jesus has already done for us, that we are to live by faith, and that would be very distinct from living by the law. It was here that this controversy actually began, which you should expect. I mean, once you have the Gentiles coming into the church, how are they now going to live? Are you going to really make them into Jews or not? This issue begins in the end of Acts chapter 11. If I continue to read in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. And, of course, you should expect this because those people who did disperse, now, of course, not everyone dispersed, only a handful of people left. The apostles apparently stayed. They stayed there in Jerusalem. The disciples of the Lord Jesus, they stayed there in Jerusalem, even though Stephen was executed. I believe that there were some people who were very concerned about whether or not they would be captured and executed like Stephen was, and so they left and went out into other areas in order to try to develop a new life for themselves because of the concern with regards to their own personal safety. But when they went, they again, they only spoke to the Jews only because they did not know that a Gentile could actually be saved. So when they went, they went out into these surrounding areas, spoke with the Jews. While they were there, through Peter, the Lord revealed that a Gentile could actually be saved. But now this message is going to find its way out into these other areas. It's going to follow the people who left and eventually reach them. That's what's happening here. Then in verse 20, But some of them who were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, 
preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, it's easy to look at this word Hellenists and think that this is referring to Gentiles, but technically, no, it doesn't have to really refer to Gentiles. In fact, I personally believe that they were speaking to Jews who had abandoned Pharisaical Judaism and turned to Greek philosophy in order to improve themselves, in order to improve their lives. You see, the Hellenists were generally Jews who rejected Pharisaical Judaism because they did not believe that Pharisaical Judaism was a means by which a person could truly become a better person. And this would be considered because many of the Pharisees were mean and vicious people, cruel people, not all of them, of course, but many of them were because of their condemning attitude towards others who were not being obedient to God as they were. It was an expression of religious pride that would turn a lot of people off. And today, people feel the same way about many people in churches who become very religious and they become very judgmental and very condemning. It's the same thing. It's a religious pride. It's an attitude of religious pride that people would turn away from. And in this case, they would turn to Greek philosophy, Greek philosophy in order to try and become better people not because they would be trying to indulge the flesh. It's not really what that was about predominantly. It wasn't about an opportunity to indulge the flesh. It was an alternative to become a better person, a more righteous person, a just person, a person who would live with integrity to some degree. That's what it was really about. It was about wanting to become a better person, and it was just a competing philosophical perspective. That's how the Hellenists viewed themselves. And so when the people were speaking to the Hellenists about the Lord Jesus, this is what they were thinking. This is what they were understanding. They were understanding that the Jews were speaking to those Jews who had abandoned Pharisaical Judaism about the Lord Jesus. Now, if this is what's going on, that the early Christians or the Jews are now reaching out to the Hellenists, they may receive the message of the gospel, they may be saved, but again, how are they going to live? How are they really going to live their daily life? Are they going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but then live their daily life in accordance with Hellenistic Greek philosophy? Is that what they're going to do? Or will they turn back to the Mosaic Law now? Will they do that? Will they turn back to the Mosaic Law? If you understand this, then you can see that there would be this controversy developing even more in terms of how are we really going to live our daily lives in light of what Christ Jesus has done for us? Are we going to live our daily lives in pursuit of the Mosaic Law with greater enthusiasm? Or is there a different way of living? What does it really mean to believe in Christ Jesus? What does it really mean to believe in him as the Messiah? This would be the issue that would then develop. And so how would the early church respond? Well, of course, the early church would discover, they would hear, they would find out that the Hellenists were starting to believe in Jesus. And if that's the case, then they would want to go and reach out to them to help them, to help them grow, to help them develop, to encourage them in their faith to ensure that they're properly discipled, to ensure that they will now live as they believe, as the Jews believe, that the Hellenists should now live. The Hellenists being those Jews who had rejected Pharisaical Judaism. But what would the church in Jerusalem really approach them with? How would they teach them? How would they disciple them? Well, of course, as we know later on, as described in Acts chapter 15, when we get there, 
The early church believed that when a person believes in Christ Jesus, they are to be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses. And so they would be going to the Hellenists saying, look, it's great that you now believe in Jesus. You should now have a renewed enthusiasm to return to the law of Moses. Now, the apostles and disciples, they they did not just go themselves. They sent someone to the people there in the north part of the area. They sent a person to go as a representative to set these people straight, to make sure that they would begin to walk and live as they believe that they should walk and live. And so who do they send? Well, they send Barnabas. This is shown, if we continue to read, from Acts chapter 11, verse 20 into 21, In Acts chapter 11, verse 20, it says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then in verse 22, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Okay, so he would encourage them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. What would he encourage them with? If he is a representative of the church in Jerusalem, then what would he encourage them with? How would he encourage them? How would he encourage them to actually live in light of what they have now chosen to believe? If he is a representative of the church in Jerusalem, I can just about guarantee you, I can say with great confidence, quite likely Barnabas sincerely believed that those people who were believing in the Lord Jesus would need to be circumcised and they would need to live a life of repentance and turn to the law of Moses as their guidance and instruction with regards to how they are going to live their daily lives. I believe that if the church in Jerusalem is going to send anybody to represent them, to encourage people, that they would send someone who would believe the very doctrines that they also believed, that they also taught. So here comes Barnabas coming into Antioch and these other places. Here comes Barnabas to talk with the Hellenists, those Jews who had abandoned Pharisaical Judaism. Here he comes to speak with them about how they should now live, how they should return to the Mosaic Law. Are they going to do it? Are they really going to do it? Well, chances are they won't because they've already seen that lifestyle. They've already seen that way of life. They've seen it before. Why would they want to turn to it now? Of what value would that really have for them? I believe that here was the point of true resistance. Here at the end of Acts chapter 11, what we have, I believe, is the description of the beginning confrontation or the beginning controversy of how we are going to truly live in light of what Christ Jesus has done for us And this controversy would initially begin with the Hellenists, those Jews who would believe in Christ Jesus, and Barnabas coming out of Jerusalem to speak with them and to encourage them to continue in their faith with purpose of heart, that they should definitely continue with purpose. This would be the purpose. It would be to live a life in obedience to the Mosaic Law. But with this resistance, what is Barnabas going to do? 
Barnabas is either going to concede that a person does not have to live in obedience to the Mosaic law, or he is not going to concede. And he's going to want to encourage them more and more. He is going to hold firm to his position, the position of the church that he is representing. So there's one of two ways to go. The first way is is that Barnabas would want to continue to teach them to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. If this is the case, there would be a need for him to get some help probably because he's not going to be very successful with the Hellenists. He's not going to be very successful with them. And so he would need to go back to Jerusalem and get some help. Or, in this case, what he does is he goes to Tarsus to seek for the assistance of Saul. This is described in the following verses. In Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says, For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord, certainly. But then in verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus, to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, I do believe that Barnabas went to go and get Saul for one of two reasons. The first possibility, because we don't have enough information to know for certain, the first possibility is that Barnabas went to go get some assistance from Saul to teach the Hellenists who were believing in Jesus to teach them that they do actually have to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, that he decided not to go back to Jerusalem to get help, but he went to go and get the help of Paul or Saul. This is a distinct possibility because Saul, of course, was very familiar with the Mosaic Law. Perhaps Barnabas was wanting to go and retrieve Saul because he was closer in proximity, easier to get to maybe, in order to go and help him. That's one possibility, and I certainly will acknowledge that. However, I believe that the other possibility is a little bit more more possible, more probable. And that is that Barnabas went to go and retrieve Saul because he knew he could not go back to Jerusalem if he was going to concede that the Hellenists were correct. If Barnabas was beginning to discover that a person did not have to be circumcised and live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, if Barnabas was beginning to recognize that, he's not going to be able to go back to Jerusalem because then there's going to be a big embarrassment, to say the least, that the Jerusalem church sent him out there to correct the Hellenists, but now the Hellenists have corrected him. This is possible. I personally believe that this is more probable. And so he would go to Saul because he would not be able to go back to Jerusalem to find some help. He'd have to go to somewhere else. And I believe he went to go gain the assistance of Saul because Saul was already part of the Gentile world to a certain degree and probably would have some greater insights with regards to this subject. Now, the reason why I can't say this with direct conviction about the condition of Barnabas's faith right now is because, of course, in Galatians chapter 2, in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul confronted Peter over the issues of the dietary laws, Barnabas was also carried away with their hypocrisy. This was given in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13, when Paul wrote, The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And so, with a statement like that, I don't really know how committed Barnabas really was to the message of the grace of God. At least later on, when they meet in Antioch again, he certainly has an issue. And so at this time, I wouldn't be surprised if he does have an issue. 
But of course, between this time in Antioch and the next time in Antioch, described in Galatians chapter 2, there were many occasions when Barnabas did stand with Paul with regards to the message of the grace of God, did stand very firmly with Paul. And so it's difficult to really know what Barnabas was dealing with early on here in Acts chapter 11. It's very difficult to really say for sure, but I think it's important to note that there are two possibilities as to why he went to go and get Saul, retrieve Saul from Tarsus, instead of going back to Jerusalem to gain some assistance from some of the other believers down there. I believe it's probably because Barnabas was beginning to concede with the Hellenists that a person did not need to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, and that is why he went to go and retrieve Saul. And this is the introduction of Saul to the church, This is the introduction of Saul, who eventually became known as the Apostle Paul. This was the moment when he had the opportunity to be introduced to the church and begin to minister to them about the gospel of the grace of God that had been revealed to him. This was the beginning of Paul's ministry, his official ministry, that we publicly have recorded in the book of Acts. At the end of Acts chapter 11, there are a few people who came from Jerusalem. This is described in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, where it says, In these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they took up a collection, and then they sent the collection down to Jerusalem in order to help the people who were going to be suffering from the famine that was about to occur, as was revealed by these particular prophets. They went down to Jerusalem, and they were down there for a short while. We don't know precisely how long they were there. But in Acts chapter 12, the next chapter, what we have is we have the description of Peter effectively just trying to stay alive, So there is this minor transition between the time that Saul was in Antioch, he went down to Jerusalem. In the meantime, while he's down there in Jerusalem, or at least on his way, and then getting ready to depart and return to Antioch, Peter has this circumstance in his life where the Lord reveals to Peter that the Lord is still actively involved in Peter's life, and he's actively involved in other people's lives, and he is looking out for the interests of Peter. And he performs a wonderful miracle in order to save Peter from what would quite likely be a certain death. And then at the end of chapter 12, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark, from Jerusalem, brought him with them. But they went down to perform a ministry, they returned, and then we have the first official missionary journey that is described in Acts chapter 13 of Paul and Barnabas going out into the Gentile world to communicate the gospel that had been revealed to them. And in the next program, I will continue with Acts chapter 13. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 
80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,